0: This is the Not Having That Podcast with your host, Harry Watts.
1: So lie down, relax, and let the sports commence.
0: Hello and welcome to the Not Having That Podcast with myself, Harry Watts. I hope you're all having a good day, whatever you're doing, and you're all enjoying the lockdown sun. It's an absolute Perth scorcher today. Thank you to everyone that has shared our content so far. It's been fantastic to see. We really do enjoy doing this, so we're glad to see that everyone else is enjoying it too. This week's episode, I'm delighted to announce we've got not one, but two guests on the show. Both are very good mates of mine, and for as long as I've known them, they've had a love hate relationship, predominantly revolving around the sport that we'll be discussing today. This week's Not Having That podcast guests are James Wagstaff and Josh Goodwin. Josh, I'll come to you first. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. You looking forward to this? Very much so, yeah. Good stuff. What about you, James? Yeah, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. It's. Uh... It's uh, doing very well at the moment, so it's uh, exciting times. Any of you nervous at all, Josh? Any nerves inside? Yeah, just butterflies, you know. Yeah, it's natural. The opinion that you're given today, Josh, is
2: this one that you've shared frequently with people in the past at all? Um, I haven't shared it too much, but in the last few years, I probably have talked about it more so. What about you,
1: James? Yeah, it varies. I think um, having played, obviously, quite a lot of uni, um, of uni tennis, it's, uh, it's quite a frequent discussion in the sort of, everyone has their own sort of their opinions because I think it's quite, it is, there is a bit of subjectivity as much as like objectivity as well. So it's a kind intriguing subject.
0: Definitely. So boys, this is your chance to get it out there. Do you want to tell them not having that podcast listeners what your
2: unpopular opinion is? So we don't believe that Roger Federer should be considered the outright greatest male tennis player of all time. And I personally believe that it should be Novak Djokovic and James believes it should be Rafael Nadal.
0: Oh, yeah, that is, a, that is quite a big one. I'm going to give that probably a 7 out of 10 on the controversy scale. Many people, myself included, have Federer down as the goat. I mean, some people have gone further to say that he's the greatest like athlete of his generation. Um, but if you look at the stats, it's a lot nearer than what most people would think. So I think, yeah, 7 out of 10 is probably about right. Um, but you'll both have an equal opportunity to persuade me why you're right. So obviously, Josh, you're arguing for Djokovic and James for Nadal. Um, so let's get cracking. So James, how long have you held this opinion for then? See, Nadal is one of those players that I
1: think is a lot of players are gonna have as a sort of hero growing up, like he's got that sort of um, work hard attitude. Um, so I've had it for, I reckon since I've been started playing tennis since about nine, like I've always used Nadal's, I always use Nadal's rackets from my junior career um, and it's just without doubt his his sort of French Open era has just been like phenomenal like you can't argue with the fact that he is he is easily the greatest clay court player of all time which is why I think it's very it should be heavily considered that he is the greatest player of all time because he's done he's done well on other surfaces but I don't think any player has
0: dominated the surface as much as he has. What about you Josh? How long have you thought that uh, the Djokovic should be considered the GOAT?
2: Um, probably only the last sort of two or three years uh, because for me, it sort of comes down to their ages. So, for example, I, I was always very uh, impressed by how Federer could keep winning Grand Slams and major titles into his mid and late 30s. And I personally didn't think that Novak or Rafa could do that as well. Uh, But the fact that they're both now I think 34 and 33 respectively, and they've continued to win just like Federer did, uh, sort of shows that they are still very successful and probably just as talented. And I think that Novak of the three probably has um, the greatest statistics to show that recently.
0: James, would you say there was a certain moment or even a match that solidified your opinion? Could have been from his, yeah, as you said, his remarkable French Open run?
2: It probably
1: comes down to that last uh, French Open that he won because obviously that sets the record. So that's, that's 12 um, Roland Garros that Nadal's won. Um, which is just insane. But in terms of arguing against sort of personal time against Federer like Nadal's record when because obviously their rivalry is just um, incredible during the, the 2000 to 2010 um, and obviously Federer was sort of peaking towards like 2008 and Nadal um, managed to win, um, win against him in Wimbledon final when like you could argue that Federer is probably the greatest grass court player and then Nadal goes and beats him and then he also um, goes and wins the um, so he Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and then Australian Open. After that, all in the space from 2008 to 2009, and to beat Federer in that sort of situation, I think is just yeah to definitely put him in the in the
2: in the running for probably greatest of all time. What about you, Josh? For me, the first the first time I sort of considered Novak to be. Uh, a bigger force than the other two is probably when he completed the um, like the holding of all four Grand Slams in the between 2015 and 2016 so um, after losing the the French Open final in 2015 Novak then went on to win Wimbledon that year and then the US Open and then at the start of 2016 he then won Australian Open and then the French Open which meant that he held all four in uh, 2018 when he completed the Calendar Masters uh 1000 Slam which is like um, essentially winning all of the nine major titles which are like one level below Grand Slam and the reason why I think that's so impressive and um, has made me believe that he's probably the greatest all time is because um, all those courts that or all those tournaments that he plays on for those for those um, Masters 1000s are all different services, all, all different court speeds um, and so it just shows that he's the most Um, well adapted player and probably the most complete player of the three Fantastic Uh,
0: James you mentioned at uni that you held this discussion quite a lot with people in the tennis club how many people tended to agree with you that it was Nadal that well should be considered the greatest It
1: varied because a lot of uh, my uni a lot of people really like um, Djokovic Um, because I think as tennis players when you watch someone like um, Djokovic play um, he just sort of is the He is the the complete player in terms of what he offers on court. Like, his flexibility is incredible. Like, he's he's unbelievably agile. And he's just, he is an outright champion, which is what a lot of the arguments sort of were going towards. Um, But I think Nadal sort of drops off a little bit because they think he's a bit of a one-trick pony with the clay. And obviously, he's still... He still won um, every other Grand Slam and has done, and he's got. Um, I think it was like thirty-five um, th- thousand. He holds the world record. He holds the record for the most Master thousand titles. Yes, thirty-five. And obviously, a lot of them were predominantly on clay. But that's still not a, a shabby um, statistic for when you consider, so obviously, Federer and Djokovic's um, records on Master one thousands as well. What about
2: you, Josh? Um, So I didn't talk about it too much at uni. Um, Although the conversations that I did have, uh, a a lot of people just held the common belief that Federer should be the greatest full-time. And that's purely just because he has the most Grand Slam titles. Um, But then I used to always argue that his age is the one main reason why he's got the most Grand Slam titles. He is um, five years older than Nadal and six years older than Djokovic. Um, So I think... As much as Djokovic and and Nadal have achieved, um, being so much younger already. And the fact that they're so close to Federal in, in terms of all of these statistics probably shows that uh if if they were like, you know, five or six years older, they'd probably have achieved more than Federal by now.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can't really can't really comment on that for now, but yeah, the way that particularly Djokovic is going, as you're arguing for, it does look like he will overtake Federer in a lot of the records that Federer holds. Um, Outside of statistics, James, do you want to talk about some of the reasons why you like Nadal? It might be the impact he's had on you as a tennis player yourself or the way he revolutionized the sport, if you believe that he did that. What stands out to you from Nadal's career? I
1: feel like Nadal's a very sort of wholesome fella. Like he sort of... He's very sort of, like, chatty, he's quite a humble sort of guy, like, I remember an interview, I think, after French Open, like, he talks about, like, going to the supermarket and stuff, like, he's a very sort of down-to-earth type of guy, like, he's a very much, like, leaves his heart on the court, like, he's an absolute warrior, I think, more so compared to um, Federer and Djokovic, like, he's some of the matches that they've had. You just see Nadal, like, the, the gallons of sweat that he's obviously, everyone sort of reacts differently, but you can just see Nadal, like, the sort of, the pain that he goes through to in order to, like, achieve greatness. Like, I think he really sort of just pushes it out there compared
0: to the other two. What about you, Josh? Because I know a lot of people are quite quick to judge Djokovic just by his demeanour, sometimes the way he's been with the with the media and in previous matches in some tournaments of previous years how he's well there's been accusations that he's feigned injury to try and play some mind games and gamesmanship going on do you think that potentially holds Djokovic back or do you just think that that win, uh, winning at all cost mentality is something that should be applauded
2: yeah I think that um that is a fair assumption that he is sometimes uh bridging the gap between gamesmanship and, and sportsmanship um I don't think that he probably should do some of the stuff that he does on court, but like you say, he has got that win at all cost mentality, which I feel like you have to commend. Um, But I think also he, he doesn't get looked on as um, probably like a fan favorite compared to either Federer or Nadal, because he was there like third. So he wasn't on the scene when Federer was winning all of his titles, when Nadal burst on the scene and started challenging Federer, he was always, um, that third guy, that sort of came on last, and I don't think fans kind of warmed to him because of that. And I think he he probably wanted what Nadal and the Darling and had so badly that when he was younger he didn't really know how best to go about it, and so he probably made some some uh, bad decisions and you know didn't carry himself on court probably as well as the other two did. Although I should say that off court, uh, if you ever watch some of his interviews, um, he's always very very uh, polite um, his etiquette is always spot on uh, he's also very very uh, funny jokes a lot very talkative um, he's bilingual as well so he does do a lot of work off court to try and win fans over Um so I don't think people should just sort of push him to one side as just being that that third guy who sort of um, throws a hissy fit on court sometimes <laughs>
1: The issue with Djokovic is that he um, he wants to be liked a bit too much. Like he, he does that celebration after winning and it's just sort of like, I don't know, I think he needs to just sort of let it be a bit more natural. Like, for example, I think more people like Juan Martin Del, Pot- Del Potro more than Djokovic, I would say. And I think that sort of makes an important point for the greatest of all time. It's not just your tennis ability, it's your likability as well. And obviously you said that it's, it's not particularly his fault, but I do think that Federer, Federer and Nadal definitely have a much more likability around
0: the world, even for those that are not a massive fan of tennis. James, do you think that should count towards the greatest player of all time? Like what determines who is the GOAT? I do. I think it's
1: it's, it's a mixture of things. Obviously you can sort of, Real off statistics, but I think it's a combination of things. It's sort of, it's like demeanor on court. It's the sort of how well you're like that, how much of a sort of global icon you become. But obviously, statistics are very important and sort of, and sort of like influencing the sort of next generation. Like for example, Nadal. Obviously, he's got his, his sort of world-renowned um, Rafael Nadal tennis academy. So he's he's sort of not only sort of winning matches and doing that, but he's inspiring the sort of next generation. Of, of talents to uh, to
2: come
0: through yeah no fair enough and from um if you're looking at statistics you mentioned already his his french open run do you want to do you want to talk about that or any matches in particular or any other stats that you think should yeah boost boost Nadal's uh, prospects in this uh, in this debate
1: his head-to-head um with Federer Nadal's out in front and his yeah he's just like he's just his ability on a, a clay court His just his movement it's just almost it's yeah it's just it's always poetic more than anything um and what I what I like about what I think it's important to realize is that um when he won his first French Open title he was 19 years of age and like that's I think that's the 10th youngest Grand Slam winner I believe um but I just can't see any other players Doing that for a while, maybe potentially Medvedev, for example, because they played, funny enough, Nadal in the US Open. Um, was, I think it was last year, but then obviously Nadal then won that. But, um, Medvedev's still a little bit older, so I can't see. So, I think that's a really important stat to show that he's now he's obviously for years now he's just dominated the French Open, the clay courts from the age of 19 up to now. He's
0: just it's never ever been a doubt that Nadal has just been incredible on clay. I don't know if you've played on clay before but for people that aren't massive tennis fans do you want to go into how it's how it's so impressive that one man has what well dominated one surface for such a long period of time
1: well, basically it's t- like clay is I would say personally clay is the toughest surface like I I um, personally don't like playing on clay because it's it's slower like the balls, sort of they travel they travel a lot slower and sort of Obviously, the sliding, like, Nadal is just incredible at it. And he's just unbelievably quick as well. Like, he's like if you see Nadal, he's just unbelievably athletic. Like, his, his movement across the court, his ability to read the game. And he just, yeah, he just, it's, yeah, it's just really tough. Like, because the long rallies, I think that's what causes people, like, the big hitters to sort of struggle. Um, and it's just his level of fitness to keep that up over five sets and then continue, continue do, doing that over a sort of two-week period, he's just sort of the epitome of a, just an incredible tennis athlete.
0: Yeah, he's yeah, he certainly dominated clay over the years. But comparing that to Djokovic, Josh, do you want to talk about how it's equally impressive? Well, you might think it's more impressive how he's dominated over, well, grass and hard court, less so clay, but how he's done well over all surfaces during his career.
2: Yeah, so that goes back to my argument that I think he's probably the most complete player because he's been able to adapt every single surface and be very successful on all of them. Um, I think also the fact that he has beaten both Federer in his favourite tournament, uh, which is Wimbledon, I think he's beaten him a few times there actually, and he's also beaten Nadal on clay, um, whereas... That can't be said for either Federa beating both uh, Novak and Rafa on their favorite services or Rafa beating uh, Novak and Federa on their favorite surfaces. So I think again, it it does show that he's a most complete player um and probably shows that he's the best athlete as well, because he can condition his body for all different services and um even if he has to go through really grueling tests on clay against Nadal, he can do that. Or if he needs to go through much more um, like quicker, more aggressive matches against Federer on grass, then he can do that as well and still come out on top.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've touched on styles already, James, talking about how, how much of an athlete Nadal is and how physically fit he is and quick and comparing that to... Well, my man Federer, how like graceful he is over over the court with that one-handed backhand. I think is something that a lot of people that aren't even big tennis fans will appreciate. But with Djokovic, would you argue that well, is there a, a certain part of his game that stands out? Because I think being a, well, I'm not as big as a, a tennis fan as you two guys, but from where from where I sit, I think Djokovic is a slightly defensive player. Just his ability to it just I don't know. He's never he never seems out of a point. But do you want to talk about why? why Djokovic is so good Josh like from a style perspective
2: yeah so for me uh Djokovic is a classic counter puncher and so he'll just sort of um keep on rebounding the ball back into play and then he'll just pick his moment to be aggressive whereas if you look at Federer and Nadal they're both always trying to be really aggressive trying to um be in front on points from the first ball um whereas Novak will, will quite happily just stand on the baseline um make sure that he just won't miss ever and then finally pull the trigger and then win the point. So he, for me, um, the most impressive aspect of his game is probably his flexibility. I'd say that he far trumps uh, both Federer and Nadal in terms of flexibility. He can hit backhands whilst doing the splits, um, which is a shot that I don't think anyone else in men's tennis has been able to achieve yet. And also this is probably down to how much he conditions his body through doing yoga. read articles about all the different things that that he does at home he's he's got his own like yoga setup which is um just shows his dedication to sport um and i feel like because he's able to do this it's it's made him more successful and probably the most well adapted player on all surfaces james do you think
0: do you think that's fair to say that nadal's quite i know he's quite limited in his approach that he's i know always looking for an offensive shot and same for federer
1: it's debatable whether who's got better defense on clay compared to Nadal and Djokovic. Like, his his court coverage is incredible. Um, but then you've got Nadal, who absolutely bullies players with his forehand. Like, that's just an unbelievable weapon. Like, he, he knows that he can sort of, he can, like, do that anytime. time. Um, and I just can't see him over the next few years, well, dependent on uh, corona and stuff. Um, with what happened with um, clay courts, I can't see him losing many more matches. Like I don't think it'll be long before Novak and Nadal pass Fed, um, passed, uh, yeah, Federer in the Grand Slams, which is obviously the most prestigious sort of uh, record you can get as a tennis player.
2: Yeah, definitely. Just to add a point onto that, sorry, Harry, um, is that I will happily admit that Nadal probably has the best defense on a clay court, but i say that novak's defense uh, across all surfaces is a lot more consistent than either federal or nadal's yeah fair enough
0: um with defense because obviously we're talking about the greatest player of all time do you think that defense is something that should be ranked at the very top as an attribute that we should be considering when determining the goat because i think for a lot of people that are just an average tennis fan that would turn on to watch one of the slams i think they'll be more impressed by I know, an aggressive forehand, an aggressive backhand, an aggressive style of play on the whole. What do you think to that, Josh?
2: Um, I think you're probably right, yeah. People look to players that are more exciting, play more aggressive, fearless tennis. And to that, I'd probably argue that when he needs to, Djokovic does so for example it was in the Wimbledon final just last year Um, I think Federer had two two championship points on him 40-15 up and Novak just basically um, weathered the storm didn't miss a ball and then pulled the trigger when he needed to and so I think that just shows that his mentality even when faced with uh, extreme pressure like that is unfluffable um
0: James, with Nadal's statistics um at Roland garros his um' his slams are heavily weighted from his from his wins in the French open. Do you think that should be held against him how a lot of his success has come on clay particularly at Roland Garros when looking at his grand slam statistics?
1: I think he has proven himself in um in other courts like he's obviously he's won he's won all of them um and like he's like i said before like he beat um federer at wimbledon and that was just massive um and he's yeah he's obviously like even now still that us open win was huge on back on hardcore um but i think yeah i think people will assume that it's like it's sort of heavy weighted towards uh the clay court season but then I can't, because obviously they're still, they're still 30, early 30s. They've still got an, at least, I reckon, four, five years of tennis in them, both Djokovic and um, Nadal. Um, it, it, well, obviously they're, they're both a little bit injury prone, but I still, I reckon they could both get to about 23, 24 grand slams each. And then that sort of then cuts away from this sort of ideology that maybe Federer would be the the, the goat. Because it's sort of then starting, to, they're both starting to then pull away. Because so I think they've still got enough time to um, to prove that they can uh, they can definitely win more Grand Slams.
2: Can I just put forward an argument which counters that, Harry? Yeah, go on, go for it. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, so you said that um, Nadal has one or four, but I, you're missing one, which I think is a, a really important tournament, which is the World Tour Finals. So that takes place at the end of each year and is probably like like a fifth Grand Slam, really. Um, and it's where the top eight players in the world play each other and it's on an indoor surface and has been uh, played in London's 0-2 since I think 2009 or 10 or something Um, and Nadal's still yet to win that and that's I think purely because it's indoors and so it's quicker and so his game style isn't as adaptable to that surface whereas I think both uh, Federer and Djokovic have won it I believe like maybe six times each Yeah, uh, Um,
0: Federer has won it six times and Djokovic five at the moment. Okay,
2: yeah. Um, So who's to say that Djokovic won't win that a few more times? Um, And like I say, Nadal uh, isn't as adaptable in that sense. So winning all four Grand Slams is very impressive in itself, but I'd say that having not won the World Tour Finals probably puts him a bit uh, lower in that sense. I think what else is
1: important is... um when discussing sort of as an athlete, sort of when you're an athlete, the most prestigious um, like event you can win is a gold medal at the Olympics. I think for any any sport, um, that's quite an achievement and neither um, Federer or Djokovic um, have a singles um, uh, gold medal, but Nadal does. So he's completed the career golden slam. So he's won all the grand slams and he's got a gold medal. And unfortunately, Neither Federer or Djokovic can
0: say that. Yeah, I think um, Federer got silver in 2012, Daniel Gate, when he lost to Andy Murray. And I think Djokovic's best is a, I think he got bronze, about, I think it was 2008.
2: Yeah, I think Federer's got a golden doubles, but not singles.
0: Yeah, no, that is right. Um just want to talk about the longevity of Federer's career. I think. It was pretty astonishing. I mean, I didn't pay too much attention to the match, uh, the final last year because it was on, on at the same time as the Cricket World Cup final. But having watched it back and considering how, what, Federer was 37 and he took Djokovic to a fifth set tie break well, obviously he was 13-12 at the end, I think that was so impressive in such a physically demanding sport on certain aspects of your legs. You boys will know better than me. Do you generally think that, given their their injury record, Nadal and Djokovic, respectively, do you think that they both can realistically produce the performances that Federer is doing at 37? I'll come to you first, James.
1: It is crazy, like it's just Federer is just unbelievable. Like I just don't know how he does it because you you look at him, and if he was just an average man walking down the street, you wouldn't think and go, "Wow, what an one athlete." But then, like his, yeah, he's just his, he's just so quick on court and he's just, I don't know how he does it. I don't know what what he does, but he's just, yeah, it's incredible at his age to pr- be producing the tennis that he does with sort of efforts, really. Like he's, he doesn't look like he's trying that hard, but yet he produces some of the best tennis like I've ever seen and what most people will ever see, which is why I think a lot of people love watching him. But because well, obviously Nadal and Djokovic, they're a lot more physically sort of they physically demand a lot more of themselves on court like they're they I just don't know if their bodies can take it like I'd love it if they could but the knees and sort of ankles and other joints and over time and as you get older are obviously going to be a lot more susceptible to injuries
2: what about you Josh uh, obviously that stat about Federer taking Djokovic that far in that Wimpy final is very impressive although you've got to understand that in the last like two or three or four years Federer has been trimming his schedule, so he's been conditioning his body, making sure that he doesn't play too many tournaments uh, in lead-up to Wimbledon, just so that he's got his best chance of winning it. And the reason he's got the best chance of winning that tournament is because it's the fastest surface and he basically doesn't have to do as much running, which is probably wise scheduling. But um, I feel like if both Djokovic and Nadal do that in the next like three or four years just to keep playing... Then you could easily see them um, carry on winning either the French Open or the Australian Open or, in Djokovic's case, any of them.
0: I just want to finally touch upon um, legacy. I think legacy in sport is something, yes, yeah, crucial when determining who is the greatest, who's gonna, who's gonna leave what sort of legacy. Um, just looking at Federer, the sort of legacy that he's gonna, he's gonna leave behind him once he does retire. I think, yeah, as I mentioned right at the start, he has been called by some like the best athlete of his generation. Um, he's won numerous awards in sportsmanship and fans' favourite. He's always been seen as this, I don't know, kind of like a god of tennis, if you will, by some people. He's won, from a British perspective, he's won Sports Personality of the Year overseas star four times. And I think he was so important, I think you probably would both agree, in the, I know, taking tennis into a new era when he kind of burst onto the scene, the bridging of the gaps between certain eras and generations. And I think he did play a big part in. I uh, know, this kind of golden era that you you see now. What sort of legacies do you see your players that you're arguing for leaving behind? Do you want to start, James? The issue is is that when you're sort of I think it's very tough to like
1: pinpoint an outright greatest of all time because I think all three of them, we've been very lucky to have all three of them at the time we've had. Like I don't think in the future, there will be a rivalry between those three for like Grand Slams. Like they've they've all won close to around 20 Grand Slams. They're just not that's not happened, and there's not there's not many younger players who are sort of pushing through with that sort of like trio of sort of rivalry. So I think they've all sort of ba- bounced off each other in order to create this sort of this sort of legacy between them in order to create a sort of. The tennis that they have and sort of in, in inspiring the next generation i think it's not just one person singularly i think they've all worked together in order to create this sort of um this, this sort of aesthetics of the sort of next
0: um generation of tennis yeah no it's a good point josh what do you think what sort of legacy do you think jokovic will leave behind when he does retire
2: uh, i think statistically jokovic will leave uh, behind the most impressive legacy I think, personally, um, he will end up with the most Grand Slams because he's the youngest of them all and um, he's the most uh, adept on all surfaces and he reaches the most amount of finals uh, consistently. I think, also, um, if I'm right at the moment Federer obviously has been world number one for the uh longest amount of weeks but I know that Djokovic is number one now and he has been gaining on him quite rapidly over the last few years and I don't think he's too far behind now probably only about uh, I think about than, 30 weeks I yeah, think about 30 weeks behind I was gonna say less than 50 so 30 is what like best part of a year just less than a year really um, so I think Djokovic could easily remain number one for the next year or two, and then overtake him in that regard. And Federer won't be getting back to world number one because he's just not young enough and fit enough to uh, play enough tournaments to get enough points to uh, put himself back up to number one. So I think with those two, uh, with those two stats, Novak, even if you look at you know legacy in terms of. Uh, him being the most likable player and winning uh, or not winning sportsmanship awards or um, personality of the year awards. um, I just think that statistically, like I've been saying before, he should be considered the GOAT because he will break all the records, in my opinion.
0: This is the Not Having That podcast. Yes, yeah, so yeah, I really enjoyed that, fellas. It was a bit different from the usual structure we have here, but it was nice to mix up the dynamic of the show and to yeah challenge the status of a highly respected athlete who's kind of seen on a different tier to everyone else, really, by a lot of a lot of sports fans. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned at the start, um, through I know throughout my childhood and I've kind of carried this opinion um, my whole life. I've always held Federer as the highest. Um, obviously, the numbers. Well, as Grand Slams kind of back that up, but also just from how graceful he is on court. Um, I've always just yes loved Federer and seen him higher. Um, but yeah, you both made some really fantastic points um, throughout, and I think they're both. I think it's a lot closer this debate than a lot of people would um would say. Um, I'm going to say one of you actually has has changed. Well, yeah, changed my opinion slightly. Uh, Josh, I've seen the light to your um, opinion. Get the- I think whilst I really do value um, the aesthetic brilliance of Federer and Nadal, I in other sports as well, I really value an all-rounder and someone that is very adaptable. Um, I really think that's undervalued by a lot of people, which has kind of swayed my opinion in other sports. Um, and I just think that is so I know underappreciated by a lot of fans and Djokovic doesn't really get the credit that he kind of deserves, I think. Yeah, while well, he has come across as a bit of a I don't know, an arrogant so and so in in the past, I think he is changing that. And I think at the end of their careers, personally, I agree. I think Djokovic will be way clear. Well, not yeah, maybe not way clear, but I think he'll be clear of the rest, uh, which is a shame, especially for Nadal. I just think I'm not sure his, as you mentioned, James, tennis is really strenuous on certain joints. I just can't see him being as successful in his late thirties as. Federer has been and Djokovic will be but it's been great to have you both on Josh did you enjoy yourself mate very much so thank you for having me on good stuff what about you James cheers eh child class yeah I mean I'm sorry I couldn't, couldn't please you both but um, yeah you both did really well and um, yeah it was great to have you both on um, what it does mean Josh is that you can come back on at a later date if you want to talk about something else in tennis or you want to talk about another sport I know obviously you're a massive football fan and like the other sports as well so that is entirely up to you but for now um, yeah it was a great episode we'll put a well for the first time we'll be a three-way poll out on Twitter to see what the uh, what the fans think they're going to go for Federer, Nadal or Djokovic um, and yeah James maybe you'll get a surprise and people will uh, people will agree with you and then I'll be left with egg on my face but we'll see how that goes but uh, thanks for coming on lads and I'll uh, speak to you soon
2: H. thank you Thanks for listening to the Not Having That Podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. If you'd be interested in featuring on the podcast, email ryan at nothavingthatpod.com or reach us on Twitter at NHTPod with your unpopular opinion. So lie down,
1: relax and let the sports commence.